Ladies and gentlemen, I am, oh man, I am sick to my stomach right now. It's about 5.33 in the afternoon on May 31st, Tuesday, May 31st, and uh, I was I was done. I was done with the show, you know? You can't help but laugh at yourself. I was done with the show. I was ready to export it and put up the MP3 and get, you know, <clears throat> up over on sharedmedia.com and then on wherever you get your podcast that whole thing. Sorry. I am at a loss for words for what just happened to me. Um, I was done. I was done with the show. I was 50. It was about an hour long. I was done. I was excited to get home, maybe have some, some Qdoba or something like that. And, uh, and I, I exited out of Adobe audition, our recording software without saving the file. And now we got to record it all again. So we're going to do that. We're going to record it all again. We're here. Welcome to the weekend, uh, weekend sports rap podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake and, uh, welcome to the show. I've, I've said this twice now. Welcome to the show for a second time because I'm doing this all over again. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you wouldn't mind, um, I'll, I'll say this at the start of the show instead of the end of the show. Um, if you wouldn't mind giving a, a, a subscribe and a rating, if you're looking at listening to any of the podcast providers, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anything like that. If you're listening to it here or listening to it there, um, I would be very thankful for a rate, a rating and a subscription. Um, that would be uh, that would be top notch, if you will. I would really appreciate that. And uh, it helps me kind of get on the uh, the trending section and gets the podcast out there into the world a little bit more and uh, get some different ears on it if you will. And then, um, yeah, more people listen to the podcast. So I'd really appreciate if you did that. Um, again, weekend sports rep podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Thank you very much for tuning in. I had something happen to me other than what just happened a few minutes ago. I had something else happen to me, um, earlier in the day during kind of closer to lunch that had never happened to me in my entire life. And that was the intro to the show. Um, the first show that I had recorded, that was the intro. Um, but I'm going to tell the story again and it feels like I'm beating a dead horse, but nobody, nobody knows. So I'm just, I'm talking to the world now. Um, so yeah, I had something happen to me uh, that has never happened to me before in my entire life. I was going through, this is all for my Sheridan people. If you know what I'm talking about, if you know where I'm, where I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, was at the Sheridan area Walmart. I was driving through the parking lot there and um, you know how they have, and I think all Walmarts kind of have this all superstores, if you will, kind of have this. Um, they have the crosswalk in front of the two entrances, you know, they're supposed to let people cross, obviously. And um, I was stopped in front of that, letting somebody, letting a group of people cross by um, and get into the store. I was, I don't think I was doing anything wrong. If anything, I was maybe a little bit close to the crosswalk, but I wasn't on the crosswalk or anything like that. Um, these people weren't near, you know, you know, weren't anywhere near my car, the hood of my car or anything like that. And, uh, this, this person, um, just hawked a loogie in my direction, in my car's direction, and then, uh, flipped me the bird that happened today. I could not believe what was going on. I, I was still, I was in shock as I was pulling away. I didn't, I didn't gesture or anything back to him. Cause I think I was, uh, I was in shock. I was like, did that really just happen? Why, why did that just happen? Um, I was very confused. So I just pulled away. I was kind of in shock and I stared at the person for a little bit and I was like, but not like a, you know, like an angry stare or anything like that. More like, like a, like a shocked stare. I was like, why did that just happen? How did that just happen? What just happened? That that's, that's what happened to me. I was like, wow. And if you know me, 
as a person. I'm not one for, uh, I'm not huge on conflict. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm going to kind of press my way out of conflict as much as I can. Um, just cause I don't like, I'm not one to get into interactions like that. And I don't think I perform well in interactions like that. And, um, I think that's why more than anything, I was just shocked because I'm not somebody that gets into conflict like that. And, uh, just that was the scenario. I was in my car, this person was crossing and, um, with a group of other people and then just hocked a loogie and flipped me off at my car. And I was like, why did that just happen? What's going on? So that happened to me today. I did that. And then on top of me deleting my entire recording for the past hour, um, it's been a day, you know, post Memorial day, Tuesday definitely feels like a Monday now. Uh, it feels like a double Monday. Uh, the, the weight of Tuesday slash Monday is definitely weighing on my shoulders now. And, uh, here we are. So welcome to the podcast that happened to me today. That's how I'm going to intro the show. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. We're going to talk about a couple different things today. We're going to talk about, there wasn't a whole lot of huge, like breaking news or anything like that. So we don't have any like stories to break down if you will or anything. Um, just kind of a recap of the weekend. We've got our finals matchup finally put together after the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals and the NBA concluded. Uh, we'll get into that. I'm going to make predictions for the um, well, uh, the finals, obviously, and then also the uh, AL and NL Players of the Month of May. I think I can safely make predictions on that now. And then also uh, we're going to recap the Monaco Grand Prix in F1. That was a... Um, disaster for one of the constructors, if you will, and a couple drivers. We'll see, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit and a little bit more. Uh, oh, and the the world's 10 highest paid athletes for 2022 came out from Forbes. They love doing all that stuff. That came out uh, today, the 31st of May, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So yeah, kind of a couple different topics to kind of get to here. So uh, I'm doing it for the second time today. I'm sorry I keep coming back to that, but I have never made that mistake before where I just exit out of a session on Adobe Audition and it deletes everything without even thinking about it. I didn't even think about it until I closed it out and then I just slumped. And I was like, I can't believe I just did that. Um, so sorry, I keep bringing that up. It's just, it angers me because I've never done that before. And then I just did. All right, so here we go. The Eastern, uh, I guess the Western Conference Finals, excuse me, for the NBA finished up first. They finished off back on uh, last Thursday, I believe is what it was. Yeah, last Thursday. Um, and guess who? Warriors Dub Dynasty returns for another shot in the NBA Finals. The Warriors, after five straight trips and three titles from 2015 to 2019, are back in the NBA Finals after two years removed from the playoffs, thanks in part due to um, injury. Klay Thompson hurt it, got hurt in that 2019 Finals that basically sidelined him for two years because um, he got an injury in the middle of his other injury, so it sidelined him for two years. That was a huge loss for them. Draymond Green and Steph Curry. Um, they were in and out of the lineup for those two years as well uh, with injuries, so that kind of sidelined any idea of a of a um, of a another playoff run or anything like that for the Warriors. So they were kind of out of the spotlight for those two years while they were dealing with that. But here they are again, Clay Thompson, that guy again. They beat the Mavericks by the way in Game Five, one twenty to one ten. So they won the series four games to one, and it was a big night for Clay Thompson. Thirty two points, eight of sixteen from shooting from three. And the Warriors pulled away by 17 at halftime before Dallas did make it interesting down the stretch with a little bit of a comeback, but um, nonetheless, Dubs kept it away. They're atop the Western Conference once again, and they'll wait um, for the Celtics in the Eastern Conference. They're going to play on Thursday for Game 1 of the NBA Finals, and um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Warriors, the back at it again, kind of a homegrown team. Um, you could hate the Warriors as much as you'd like just because of what they 
I mean, I don't know why you would. Just pure dominance. They're one of the best teams, one of the best dynasties of all time. I don't think anybody can really argue that um, in the sport, in the game of basketball. If you're going to talk about top five dynasties, this Warriors dynasty has got to be in there just of just because of how much they've kind of gone through and now they're back again. Um, and they're all homegrown. Steph Curry drafted by the Warriors. Clay Thompson drafted by the Warriors. Draymond Green drafted by the Warriors. Jordan Poole drafted by the Warriors. Uh, James Wiseman. He wasn't uh, playing in this series and didn't play much this year because of injury, but drafted by the Warriors. He was a big part of that team during um, the uh, the injury spurn season that they had with Steph Curry and, you know, Clay Thompson. He was a big part of that team. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, not drafted by the Warriors, but a big piece that's part of this team um, that came over and has helped them spurn it back into the NBA Finals. So they're a fun team to watch. They always have been a fun team to watch. They never won't be a fun team to watch just because of how different they play the game compared to everybody else in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and they're homegrown. You know, they they're make a lot of their cash money, if you will, make a lot of their uh, make a lot of their wins and stuff, get a lot of their uh, their uh, success from the players that they were able to draft out of the NBA draft. And that's, you know, that's that's saying something in the world of the NBA basketball that we've in today with, um, you know, teams trying to build big threes, not necessarily out of the draft, but out of the free agent market like you know, the Clippers or the, you know, the Nets or the Lakers or something like that. So the Warriors have kind of been able to hang steady with a uh, with a uh, homegrown team. And it's impressive to see them do that. And the other homegrown team, the Celtics, made it to the to the finals on there. And they beat the Heat in game seven, 100 to 96. And they returned to the NBA finals for the first time since 2008. That was when uh, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett were on the team. Uh, the Celtics staved off a late comeback from the Heat to survive game seven on the road in Miami. Uh, the Heat scored nine unanswered points in the final minutes to trim an 11-point cushion to a two-point deficit in the final seconds. With the scoreline remaining reading 98-96 in favor of Boston, Jimmy Butler took a three that fell short instead of opting for a two. A pair of free throws from Marcus Smart put the game out of reach, and the Celtics hung on to capture the East in a thrilling Game 7 finale. A lot of people are going to hate on Jimmy Butler for taking that transition three in the waning seconds of the game. That was the right call. Um from Jimmy Butler. The ball is in his hands as it should be the best player on that team. And he's taking a right, the correct shot in that scenario. I don't remember the exact percentages, but I uh, reading into the analytics of that shot. If that shot had gone in, it would have given the heat about a 65% chance to win that game. So they were sitting at 98, 96 as Jimmy Butler was dribbling down the court. And um, he launched that three. If he, if that would have gone in, it would have been 99 to 98 in favor of the heat. And they would have had, I think it was like about a 65% chance to win that game had he made that and made it 99-98. If he had just, you know, settled for a two and made a two, make it 98-98 tie, I think they would have only had like a 35% chance uh, to win that game. The Heat would have had about a 35% chance to win that game, if I remember reading the analytics correctly. Um, So he made the right shot, or he took the right shot. It's just the fact that he missed it that everybody's going to judge it and, you know... um, pointed him as why did you do that that was their incorrect play but it was the correct play in the end he just didn't make it if he would have drained that three everybody would have been at his feet praising him for the shot that he made and the and the bravery of taking that shot in that scenario um and it was the right shot he just happened to miss it in the celtics moving on to the nba final for the first time since 2008 and that's the uh that's the effect of that cause if you will um, Celtics trio of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart combined for 74 points of Boston's 100 points. Tatum was incredible in this game. He had 10 rebounds. He had 26 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, two blocks, and a steal as well. 
Their defensive prowess was shown once again as they held Miami Miami to just 20, 20% shooting from three-point land in this game as well. And um, Miami, they struggled most of the series shooting just in general. I think they had a couple games where they shot below 40% from the field. And um, that's not going to win you very many ball games. So it's a, it's a miracle that got to seven games as well. Um, uh, Jimmy, uh, like I said, Jason Tatum, he had 26 points. Jalen Brown, 24 points. And Marcus Smart, 24 points as well. So great games from there. Big three, if you will, quote unquote. The Boston Celtics moving on to the NBA Finals since for the first time since 2008. So now we get to the Warriors and the Celtics in the NBA Finals, an East Coast versus West Coast matchup. I do not want to be the person trying to travel plan uh, for these games. Those flights are going to be pretty dreadful, especially after like a game two you're all beat up or something. You're in uh, Golden State. You got to fly back to Boston. I don't know if it'll be the day after, but the night after or the night of. And that's like a, I think that's like a four hour, th- a four hour flight, four and a half hour flight, something like that. That's a brutal flight. Um, so I feel bad for them for that. But they're playing for a championship, so you know that's how it works. Uh, like I said, the Warriors have home court advantage. They'll play in Game One and Game Two in San Francisco, and then it'll be Boston for Game Three and Game Four. And then I think it's back and forth for five, six, seven, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, uh, I think I'm going to lean more warriors in this matchup just because they've been so dominant in the playoffs so far. Um, they dominated the, uh, the nuggets in the first round. I think, you know, thoroughly beat them. Um, war or the, uh, Memphis Grizzlies kind of gave them, I won't say a run for their money, but you know, they gave them the best, the best shot, um, that the war, that the, uh, the Grizzlies could have given them. I think they're still the, that Grizzlies team is still a young team. Uh, the the Warriors have all the experience, you know, the talent in the world to beat that team, and they did. Uh, I won't say handily, they did lose one of those games by like fifty or sixty points or something like that. It was ridiculous. Um, but other than that, it felt like the Warriors kind of had control of that uh, that series, nonetheless. And then, obviously, in the Western Conference Finals, they beat the Mavericks relatively handily in five games. Um, it was just that one game in Dallas. I think it was Game Four that uh, they felt kind of fell apart in. Um, but we'll see what happens. I think the like I said, I think the Warriors can oh, they'll win this series. I think in the bets. I think I got them in six games. I think I think the Warriors probably have just a little bit too much uh, for the Celtics to handle. Celtics are a fantastic defensive team, no doubt. I mean, both these teams are pretty good defensively, but the Celtics are fantastic defensively. They're better team defensively, uh, but I don't think they have enough offensively to keep up with the Warriors if their defense can um, bring them down. Because again, Warriors are also a pretty solid team defensively as well. Celtics, they have um, Robert Williams. Jason Tatum is a fantastic defender. Robert Williams is a fantastic defender down low. Jalen Brown has been known for his um, defense. And then uh, Marcus Smart, the DPOY, Defensive Player of the Year, even though a lot of people kind of har-har at that just because um, there are other people on that team that if you look at it and the analytics of it, he's not necessarily even the best defensive player on his own team. So a lot of people kind of just brush that off, if you will, and take take more notice to guys like Robert Williams down low or Jalen Brown, that sort of thing. So see what happens. It'll probably be like Jason Tatum on Clay Thompson. Marcus Smart will probably be on Steph Curry. And then uh, Jalen Brown will probably move more down low and play against Draymond Green, try to match that uh, that small ball lineup that they kind of work with, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that'll favor more in the Warriors' the Warriors uh, hand because they're used to playing that small ball lineup, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know if they, ha- like I said, they the Warriors, they play differently offensively, a lot differently than a lot of other, um, a lot of other NBA teams do in the league. 
They aren't, you know, give it to a star and kind of let the star run the offense through them. They're more like Steph Curry gets the ball, he passes it to somebody up court, and then Steph Curry runs around and gets off ball screens over and over until he finds an open shot and he gets the ball. And it's a it's a um, it's a catch and suit situation. That's why you know Clay Thompson is so good in those scenarios because they are fantastic at moving around off the ball, and it it really makes teams um, try to defend better off the ball than it does on the ball. If that makes sense. And that is sometimes a weakness for a lot of teams. And I don't, I don't think it's going to be a weakness for the Celtics per se, uh, per se, but I think the Warriors are just better at what they do in that sense of um, building offense that, that way, in that way than I think the Celtics are in building defense that way. And I think the, the Warriors are good enough to kind of shut down any sort of Celtics offense that they have going. Um, and I think the, the Warriors win it in six games. So that's, that's my prediction for that. Um, we'll see what happens, though. I, I, all I'm really hoping for is a good series. It's a good series, then I'll be super excited. You know, I mean, we've had a, a lot of blowouts this year uh, in the NBA playoffs. Finally, we had a really good game in the conference finals. That was kind of the first one um, with the, uh, the the Celtics beating the Heat in Game Seven. And um, yeah, I think uh, if it's a good series, then that's all you can really ask for. So hopefully that happens. Moving on here, we had the Monaco Grand Prix this past weekend. Uh, it was Sergio Perez. The Mexican in the Red Bull taking first place on the podium. He beat out Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari, the Spaniard. He finished in second place. And then Max Verstappen, the Dutchman in the Red Bull, rounded out the podium in third place. So Red Bull, super happy with their uh, Monaco Grand Prix, I would say. Uh, Finished it off very well. Uh, Two podiums. Can't ask for more than that. One, I mean, you can't ask for first and second, but can't ask for much more than that, I guess is what I should say. Uh, Sergio Perez in first and then Max Verstappen. And third, Ferrari, though, that was the big story of the weekend in F1. Um, I would argue, basically in all sports, um, was the disaster that Ferrari had at the Monaco Grand Grand Prix. They had um, Charles Leclerc on pole position after qualifying, pole position being first. You know, they started the race off first um, in first place once the green flag is waved, if you will. So he started off in first place and Charles Leclerc basically uh, led for most of um, the beginning of this race until he had to go and change tires after, I think it was like the 22nd lap or the mid 20 lap or something like that. And uh, into a drier tire because uh, Monaco, it was raining in Monaco at the start of the race. So they all had their wet tires on and the wet tires make them go slower, but it gives them better traction on the track. Um, and once it stopped raining and the track kind of dried up, they opted for drier tires, more intermediate tires, and then drier tires. Um, and that was the big thing for Ferrari. So let me kind of circle back here. Um, Monaco, the Grand Prix in Monaco, it's been around since 1929, I believe was the first race. So it's been around forever. And the Grand Prix, the circuit in Monaco, um, has virtually stayed the same for the most part. There hasn't been a whole lot of changes to the actual circuit itself in terms of um, the uh, look of the circuit, not the look, but the, the the actual formation of the circuit, if that makes sense, uh, where it goes, um, the width of the turns, the length of the of the straightaways, that sort of thing. That sort of stuff has kind of stayed the same for a very long time since 1929. And in 1929, in that first race. This is where the big problem arises for a lot of people that watch the Monaco Grand Prix. The, you know, a lot of people, it's the most famous race. I mean, in F1, arguably in racing, probably not, probably behind, you know, Daytona or the Indy 500 for Americans and that sort of thing. But um, 
in the world's eye, Monaco is probably the most prestigious race in the world. But for people that watch the actual race, this is probably their least favorite race to watch because of it being so dull. Um, and because of those dimensions that was a ri- that were originally formed at the circuit in Monte Carlo, um, it's small. The circuit itself is tiny in terms of width and, um, it was built for those smaller cars back in 1929. The, the cars were only like uh, three, almost four feet across and then much smaller in length. Nowadays, the F1 cars are about 18 feet in length and then about seven feet in width. So these cars, these F1 cars, they're playing, they're, they're driving on this, uh, this, this, it's basically a traffic circuit. You know, they're, they're not, it's not a, a circuit built for F1. It's basically the streets of Monte Carlo in Monaco. And, um, the F the F1 community kind of just dislikes the Monaco Grand Prix because it's not built for these big cars. And you don't for because of that, you don't get a lot of overtakes or anything like that. And um, if you're in pole position, like Charles Leclerc was at the start of this race, you can basically lead end to end in this race and not really have any huge problems. You can kind of stave off um, any sort of overtake or anything like that in this race. If you play it well enough, the only time it kind of runs into issues is in the pit stops and that is where the disaster came for ferrari so ferrari uh for those that don't know in f1 um you should never pit stop at the same time as your teammate you have two teammates in f1 um there's 20 20 racers and then uh, two team uh 10 teams two racers for each team basically and um, you never want to pit stop at the same time as your teammate, because you're basically losing positions at the same time as your teammate. If you're both pitted at the same time, plus there's only one spot for a pit with, for two players, if that makes sense. So basically what happened, um, it was the mid twenties lap or something like that. And, uh, Charlotte Claire changed his tires to a more intermediate tire. And then, um, he, you know, after a couple laps, he realized that he could switch to a more dry tire and get more speed on the circuit. Um, but at that point, Sergio or his teammate Carlos Sainz, also in a Ferrari, was pitted at the same time. And as he was coming around towards pit lane, his engineer, Charles Leclerc's engineer, um, the Ferrari engineer basically told him to box, which is to come into pit lane and um, you know, get that change of tires, get those dry tires on. But for whatever reason, the Ferrari engineer at the time realized that Sainz was coming into the pit lane at the same time and he was going to get his change of tires. So he immediately realized he's like, oh, crap, stay out, stay out, stay out to Leclerc, stay out on the track. Do not pit right now because we have somebody in our other teammate in the pit lane right now changing his tires. But Leclerc is already driving down pit road and he is coming in to get his tires, t- tires changed. So the, the Ferrari has two racers in pit lane getting a change of tires. It was a complete disaster. Leclerc freaks out over the radio. He's like, what are you doing? What the hell are we doing? Why is this happening? It's a lot more expletive. If you go and listen to the actual audio, he gets very angry, and rightfully so. It's not his fault. Um, Ferrari really, really messed this up um, for Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, um, but mainly Leclerc because he was leading the pole position and leading basically the entire race up until he went and pitted. And then, um, you know, he only lost, uh, you know, a couple seconds, but in F1, Seconds are more like minutes, so those three seconds are almost impossible, especially at a place like Monaco where you can't overtake people, and it's very hard to overtake other racers. Um, those seconds ended up being a disaster for him, and he ended up losing by about three seconds. The, the top four were basically all grouped together, and once he 
came out of the out of pit road, he was in fourth place instead of first place behind Verstappen, Carlos Sainz, and Checo Perez. And Perez would end up winning. Carlos Sainz would end up second. Max Verstappen ended up third. And Charles Leclerc ended up in fourth place um, behind Checo Perez by about three seconds. So those three seconds that it took him to kind of wait for Carlos Sainz to get those tires on and then for him to drive in to get his tires on costed him the race. It completely costed him the race and even a podium spot. And um, yeah, he was um, he was pissed and he was and rightfully so. Um, it was a disaster from Ferrari. They did get a podium in Carlos Sainz who finished second. But other than that, I mean, they should have won the race. Charles Leclerc should have won the race. And another thing that it's interesting to point out for Charles Leclerc, this is his home race. He's from Monaco. So and in F1, that's kind of a big deal for you to want to win your home race. Um, he's never finished this race. I believe he's been in he's been in F1 for a couple of years now, three or four years, I want to say. And he's never finished this race. He's either crashed or had to retire the car early um, before he could finish the race. So he's never even finished the race. And this was his chance to finally finish the race, not just finish and win the race. Um, but Ferrari flubbed it up um, and they uh, cost him a podium and he still finished the race. I guess that's a step up, but uh, it cost him a podium. And he was uh, he was very, you know, distraught, angry at his team. And rightfully so. They messed it up for him. And uh, it was possible he could have been on the podium for his home race, if you will. But um, here we are. And fourth place next year, maybe Charles Leclerc, if we even have a Monaco, I mean, we'll have a Monaco GP Grand Prix, but I mean, it's just becoming more and more dated. If you go and look at the other circuits of the, uh, of the uh, F1, the F1 grouping, you'll see that, uh, you know, a lot of the other circuits are much more. Um, I, I don't know if they're lang- longer. I don't think they're longer, but uh, they're more, um, you know, they're, they're definitely wider. There's more room for overtake. There's more room for error. And that just creates a more fun race, a much more aggressive race to watch. Um, it's just more entertaining that way. Now, Monaco is a blast, I would assume, to go to. Obviously, I've never been. But it's a, it's a much more fun uh, venue to go and watch um, a race like that just because of, you know, you're right on the ocean, basically. It's like it's like the rodeo in Sheridan if you put F1 cars on it and then just had a race around the the F1 uh, the F1, the the Sheridan Rodeo Circuit obviously is bigger, but that's kind of the idea that they were going for in Monaco, uh, in Monte Carlo, because it's just right there on the water. It's right in the middle of the streets. There's a couple circuits that are like that, but they're a little more developed, if you will, with the more modern idea of modern F1 instead of you know 1929 F1, where the cars were much smaller and the track was a lot it ran a lot slower, if you will. So uh, to give a, a, an idea of how much smaller it is. Uh, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which comes up in uh, about a week, June 10th, two weeks, I guess. Um, that circuit length is about 6,000 kilometers, and the Monaco Grand Prix one is uh, is about 3,000 kilometers. Uh, so it's a lot smaller, Monaco the Monaco Grand Prix is, and um, there's a lot less room for error, if you will, in terms of, uh, in terms of you know, what you can do um, in the Monaco Grand Prix. So... Yeah, that, that was the Monaco Grand Prix. It was a bunch of, uh, not a lot of overtakes and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it was one in the pits, if you will. One in the one on pit road. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. It was fun to watch. And, um, I mean, it wasn't really that fun to watch. But that was a fun, uh, that was a fun uh, moment for the, uh, for the actual race itself. That was, uh, you know, it wasn't without its controversy. And that was its controversy. So, there you go. That was the Monaco Grand Prix. There you go. And again, like I said, the uh, Azerbaijan Azerbaijan Grand Prix is on June 10th. So that's the next race for F1. 
and we'll keep an eye on that. Moving on here to the uh, ALNL Players of the Month in baseball. I'm making predictions here. We don't have Players of the Month as of this recording, uh, Tuesday, May 31st. We don't have Players of the Month for the month of May yet. There's still some games to be played as of this recording, so we'll see what happens. Um, To me, the National League one is easy. Um, It's between two people. I don't think it's incredibly difficult to make this pick um, other than the two people. Two people could be could be kind of difficult, um, but my pick, I think, would probably be Paul Goldschmidt in National League. He's had an incredible month of uh, month of May. Um, he doesn't lead in WAR. He's uh, one. He's a point three behind Mookie Betts and wins above replacement. Uh, Mookie Betts is the other option in my opinion, but I think Paul, Paul Goldschmidt uh, will get the award. He's hitting 406, 465 on base percentage and 822 slugging in the month of May. An absolutely absurd month. Um, he had 10 home runs, 19 runs, and 32 runs batted in uh, with a WRC plus of 255 and an offensive rating of 22.0. So a fantastic month. The only challenger he would possibly have would be Mookie Betts. Um, Mookie Betts had hit 355, 489 on base percentages and a 773 slugging. Mookie had 12 home runs. Uh, 31 runs and 27 runs batted in with an 18.9 offensive rating and a 1.8 defensive rating and a uh, 2.6 uh, wins above replacement, a league leading wins above replacement in the month of May. But I just think that Paul Goldschmidt's numbers um, at the plate are probably a little too good to pass up for player of the month. So I think it's probably going to be Paul Goldschmidt again, 406 average. That's pretty insane. 406 average for a full month is pretty insane. So I think it's probably going to be Goldschmidt in the AL or excuse me in the NL. And then moving over to the AL, AL is a little bit trickier. Um, there's a couple players that have played really good for the month of April, or excuse me, month of May. Um, I think it could go, it could go to a pitcher, um, could go to I think maybe one or two position players. Judge Aaron Judge from New York uh, for the Yankees had a great month, hitting 320, 386 on base, and a 720 slugging, uh, 14.3 offensive rating, and a 1.9 WAR. Um, He's having a great month. He leads the uh, leads the AL in home runs with 12, three more than the next person. Uh, he's also got 24 runs and 24 RBIs. So could be Aaron Judge. He's had a great month, and the Yankees are playing very good, so that would make sense for them uh, to go with Aaron Judge. But also uh, a pitcher a pitcher could take it as well. In my opinion, I think probably um, um, Martin Perez for the Rangers playing good enough for him to take it in the month of May. He has a sub one ERA, 0.76 ERA. He does play, uh, it does pitch on the day of recording this as well. Um, th- this uh, Tuesday night. So we'll see what happens in that game. But as it stands right now, he's, you know, three and oh, I mean, the Rangers aren't very good right now, so he should probably have more wins than he does, but he's three and oh, 35.1 innings pitched, uh, 0.76 ERA and a 2.32 FIP. Uh, he's got 1.1 wins above replacement and a batting average, um, with the ball in play of 265. So he's having a very, very good month of May. And all of that with only 7.13 uh, strikeouts per nine. So he's doing it while letting the ball be in play. Um, he gets a lot of ground balls. I mean, he's a ground ball ground ball pitcher king. That's what he does. Lots of fly ball outs, lots of ground ball outs. And um, I, don't, I don't think he's allowed a home run this month either, which is absurd. Um, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure his home runs per nine are zero. So yeah, he hasn't allowed a single home run this month. Um, which is very impressive, and he started in uh, started in five games, so five starts in thirty five innings hasn't allowed a home run in a zero point seven six ERA. That's a very impressive month for Martin Perez. Um, it could also be somebody like uh, 
Uh, Nick Pavetta, Kevin Gosman, a couple other pitchers on the mound that played re- that have uh, pitched very well. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I think personally, if I were to take somebody in the AL, it'd probably be Judge. I think mainly because the Yankees are playing so good right now. I think they'll probably lean more, a little bit more towards Judge. The Rangers are currently sitting at 23 and 24. They're not playing terrible, but um, I think that affects maybe the the idea of player of the month, maybe a little bit more. And the Yankees are 33 and 15, one of the best records in the MLB. So um, I think they'll probably lean more towards Judge. So that's my pick in the AL. I think Aaron Judge takes it. Um, so Aaron Judge in the AL and then uh, Paul Goldschmidt in the NL players of the month predictions. We'll see what happens. I think they'll probably announce it either Wednesday, the 1st of June, or um, Thursday, the 2nd of June. I don't know exactly when they usually announce it, but my uh, predictions, Paul Goldschmidt in the NL, and then Aaron Judge in the AL. Uh, Moving on here, we're going to close out the show here with a little something, a little fun. Uh, We got the 10 highest paid athletes for 2022 from Forbes this week that um, they normally do like... um, you know, not normally, but they do uh, they also do like uh, franchises, highest, highest, uh, highest grossing franchises and that sort of thing. Um, but we got the highest paid athletes for 2022 here today and their methodology. I'm going to throw out numbers here. So it's kind of it's not going to be confusing, but uh, I'm going to throw out some numbers. Um, and you're, you're probably going to be wondering where they get them from. And this is where they get them. This is their methodology. Their on-field earnings figures include all prize money, salaries, and bonuses earned between May 1st, 2021 and May 1st, 2022, and cases where players continue to be paid beyond May for a regular season that is concluded by then, as in the NBA and European soccer. We assign the full season of salary. Playoff bonuses are also included for the 2021 NFL season and the 2020-2021 NBA season, Um, and it also has off-the-field earnings, and those are basically estimates of sponsorship deals, appearance fees, and memorabilia, and licensing income for the 12 months leading to May 1st, 2021. So the off the field money is kind of a speculation. The on the field money is more um, distinct um, because we kind of get all of those contract numbers um, as they happen, if that makes sense. So off the field, a little bit more of a speculation, but the on the field is much more direct. So here we go. Number 10. This is a new face on the list. I don't recognize. um, I don't think he's been on here before. So I think this is his first time and he's the youngest on the list. I know that for a fact. Uh, Number 10, Giannis Antetokounmpo. On the field, made $39.9 million. Off the field, $41 million. Um, Neymar turning, uh, with Neymar turning 30 in February, Giannis Antetokounmpo was the only member of this year's top 10, still in his 20s. The Bucks' two-time MVP signed a five-year, $228 million contract in December of 2020, the largest contract in the, in the NBA by total value to date. He was among the investors in timepiece resale platform Watchbox's $165 million funding round announced in November, and he also signed a licensing deal with the NFT platform, NFT Star, and added WhatsApp and Google Pic- Google's Pixel 6 phone to his endorsement stable as well, and Ansa Kumbo will soon be able to watch his life story in the biopic Rise, set to be released on Disney Plus in June. So a bunch of off-the-field stuff um, matching and um, exceeding his uh, on-the-field money as well, so... Giannis Antetokounmpo, number 10, number 9. Somebody that's been on this list feels like a billion times, and it's because he's a billion years old. Number 9, $83.9 million. Tom Brady, he made $31.9 million on the field and then $52 million off the field. His retirement this offseason lasted less than six weeks, less than six weeks, which was welcome news for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after he turned in a spectacular 2021 season at age 43. He's certainly learning some new tricks off the field, though. Autograph. The NFT platform, that's the big thing you'll see on this list is NFTs. They're popping off. That's the big uh, 
that's the big thing that these guys are kind of uh, uh, investing in at the moment. Um, but Autograph, the NFT platform Brady can co-founded last year, raised $170 million in a Series B funding round announced in January. And Religion of Sports, the production company he co-founded with Pro Football Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer Michael Strahan and filmmaker Gotham Chopra unveiled a content deal with Skydance Sports in March. Uh, meanwhile, his other production company, 199 Productions, is behind the upcoming road trip movie 80 for Brady, and he has a new clothing line cleverly named Brady. And uh, when it is finally time to retire pro- permanently from football, Brady already has his next lucrative, lucrative gig lined up. We talked about this, a commentator role with Fox Sports. So, dudes, rolling in dough, if that makes sense. He's got a bunch of off-the-field stuff, a couple production companies. The guy knows how to do it off-the-field, just like the rest of these guys. And uh, Tom Brady, number nine. Number eight, somebody that got most of his money off of the field. Um, he's a boxer. He's on this list a lot. Canelo Alvarez on the ring, off the on the field, in the ring, if you will. Uh, $85 million and off the field, $5 million for a grand total of $90 million. He is boxing's top draw right now, undoubtedly earning $40 million or more from his two pay-per-view victories last May and November. His last to lightweight or light heavyweight champion, Dimitri Bivol, um, on uh, May 7th, 2022, fell outside Forbes' tracking window, but that would probably have launched him to, I think it would have been top three on this list if it was before May uh, before May 1st. So, still rolling in the dough. Um, beyond the ring, Alvarez has a lucrative partnership with Hennessy, owns a taco restaurant in his native Mexico, which plans to expand to California as well. Alvarez said last year that he would be launching a chain of gas stations as well, and as Canelo Promotions is putting together a series of fights in Mexico in partnership with Matchroom Boxing and the zone so that's canelo he's the probably the the one that you'll see the most on the field money for where in terms of like um ratio he makes a lot of his money on the field and less of his money off the field if that makes sense and he'll make the most of it on the field or in the ring if you will that's just how they've listed it here is on the field uh number seven complete opposite it's the complete opposite of canelo alvarez it's roger federer he made 90.7 million dollars in 2022 on the field Get this, on the field, he only made $0.7 million. So $700,000 off the field, he made $90 million. <laughs> um, injuries limited Roger Federer to just six tournaments in 2020 and 2021 combined, and he has yet to return to the court in 2022, so that was a big factor. No matter, though, world's former number one player remains the top pitch man at sports promoting brands such as, oh man, I'm going to have a tough time reading this, Un- Uniqlo, I'm a, I'm a, Uniqlo, something like that, U-N-I-K, not K Q L O. And then also uh Rolex. He also invested in the burgeoning Swiss shoe brand on very clever name there. O N that's the, that's the name in 2019. And the company went public in September, raising more than $600 million. Um, Federer told Forbes at the time we work very closely together on product design. So he's very proud of that. Having spent 20 days in the lab with the on team, uh, developing the company's pro tennis shoe. So there you go. Roger Federer making a lot of his money off of the, off of the tennis court making a substantial amount of money off the tennis court with Rolex and then on and uh, moving on here. Number six, um, another name that's been on here a couple times, Kevin Durant. He made $92.1 million on the field. He made $42.1 million, and then off the field, he made $50 million. The Nets star Kevin Durant brings in roughly $28 million annually from Nike, Nike, a sneaker deal surpassed only by LeBron James, who makes $32 million a year among active players. He has recently added deals with Coinbase, NBA Top Shot, and Weed Maps, but with media company boardroom and investment firm 35 Ventures, his business empire goes far beyond endorsements. Uh, NFT platform, OpenSea, and digital fitness startup Future 
are among his latest investments as well. He's backing SeatGeek's SPAC merger as well. And Durant and his longtime business partner, which Rich Kleinman, also announced last year that they would launch an SPAC of their own. And it is still seeking an acquisition. So a lot of money terms, uh, man, I sometimes you read this stuff like I read this stuff and I'm like, what? What the hell does this even mean? What's an SPAC? I don't know what an SPAC is. I'm just reading this. Okay. What's an SPAC? What's an SPAC merger? I don't know, but it made him a lot of money. So that's all that matters. Congrats, Kevin Durant. You're number six. Number five, another guy that's been on here a bunch. And if you've been watching television or anything like that recently, this guy has been all over your TV screen. Steph Curry, number five, $92.8 million on the field. He made $45.8 million off the field. He made $47 million. No NBA player made more in salary this season than Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors guard is due for a raise after signing a four-year $215 million extension last August. He'll make roughly $48 million on the court next season, rising to just under $60 million in 2025-2026. Curry's new FTX endorsement deal also came with an equity stake. FTX, those those of you who don't know, it's a trading platform for crypto, more or less, basically. And uh It's a platform that he now has an equity stake in. So there you go. And he dived deeper into blockchain in December, releasing a collection of NFTs uh, that featured his sneakers and were tied to three metaverse platforms. Oh my God, I don't care. Um, He pledged to to donate the proceeds as well. I care about that. I kind of, wow, I cut out a little too early there, but um, the metaverse stuff, don't care. Uh, Meanwhile, Curry's production company, Unanimous Media, signed a development deal with Comcast, NBC Universal in September as well. It's cool he's donating that stuff to... Um, he's donating the the proceeds. I don't care about the NFTs though, because man, it, the more you read up on this, these guys are, oh man, they really love their NFTs. And I don't, I get it. I don't get it. You know, I'm not the money guy, obviously. Um, number four here, $95 million. We're getting into our first soccer player, Neymar. He made $70 million on the field this year. Off the field, he made it $25 million. Neymar scored his 400th career goal back in November, but like Lionel Messi, he was slung by criticism. Criticism after PSG, uh, PSG's early Champions League exit. His attention will now shift to the World Cup in Qatar this fall, which he has said could be his last. Off the field, though, he has a valuable set of endorsements, including Puma and Red Bull, and he is the subject of a new Netflix docuseries, Neymar, The Perfect Chaos. He's also diving into the world of NFTs, signing with the platform NFT Star in November and spending over $1 million. Oh, my over $1 million on two Bored Ape Yacht Club NFTs in one day in January. Oh, there's nothing more boring, I think, in the world than somebody describing NFTs to another person. It is mind-numbing. I want to drool. I want to drool with that. That is good Lord. Uh, number three, another, no, another name that's been on here tons of times. Um, Another soccer star, $115 million. This is where you kind of see the separation from the top players in the world. People that kind of exceed the sports that they actually play in. This guy is not, you know, is definitely one of those guys. Number three, $115 million this year. Cristiano Ronaldo made $60 million on the field this year. And then off the field, he made $55 million. Uh, Like his rival, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo has had a disappointing first season with his new team. Uh, with Manchester United stuck in sixth place in the Premier League standings with one game remaining. It's actually over, and I think they remain in sixth game or in sixth place. Uh, rumors are now swirling that Ronaldo, who previously played for Man U from 2003 to 2009, could be on the move once more in this summer's transfer window. window. Uh, much of Ronaldo's earning uh, power comes from his massive social media presence. He has 690 million followers across Instagram, 
Facebook and Twitter giving him leverage to demand sky-high rates from sponsors such as Nike, Herbal Life, and Clear Shampoo. 690 million followers on both Instagram, or across Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That is more than the population of the United States of America. Let that sink in for dramatic effect. 690 million people. That is absolutely insane. More people know what he's doing in the world than there are people in the United States of America. Can't, can't do anything but tip your cap, you know? Um, he's also an investor in Tattle Restaurants, including a new location in Beverly Hills, and is the face of Zuju GP, a forthcoming app aimed to be a digital soccer community, but it's probably, I mean, that's a weird description because I think it's going to be more like a, uh, a uh, I mean, I think it's like a, a um, I think it's a gambling site is, is the idea. Um, if it's not that, I think it's like a... Um, Billionaire Peter Lim's Zuju GP buys Toki Games as digital platform pursues online football gamification. So it could be gambling. Um, sounds like it's probably going to be something like gambling or, um, like, I mean, they'll probably get into like NFTs and stuff like that because that's what they do. Um, but it seems it's more like gambling, that sort of thing. Um, so that's what uh, Ronaldo is getting into there. Number two on the list, another name. Nobody needs an introduction to. Um, much bigger than the game that he plays, that sort of thing. $121.2 million, LeBron James, uh, $41.2 million on the court and then off the court, $80 million. Uh, LeBron James' Los Angeles Lakers missed the playoffs this season, but he's never been so dominant off the court. He started in last year's Space Jam, a new legacy, and recently moved his talk show, The Shop, from HBO to YouTube. In October, he sold a significantly or significant minority stake in Spring Hill, the production company behind both projects at a valuation of about $725 million, pushing his net worth to $850 million, according to Forbes estimates. After announcing an endorsement deal with Crypto.com in January, James appeared in a Super Bowl commercial next to a computer-generated version of his younger self. He also recently invested in home gym company Tonal and Status Pro, a sports tech startup that creates virtual reality training products as well. So, Ron James, again, another guy that's Bigger than the sport that he plays. I'm surprised they didn't mention this. I mean, I guess it's kind of something that's kept under wraps. But um, his Nike deal, he sounded like a, he signed like a lifetime Nike deal back um, like a I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, that a lot of people just kind of assumed it's a lifetime deal. The numbers didn't come out for it, but a lot of people I think just assumed that it was like a one billion dollar deal or something like that for a lifetime deal with Nike for LeBron James. That's just an that's just like a an estimate or something like that. Um, so nobody actually knows, but it's like a lifetime. It's not annual either. So he's not like getting a billion dollars each year. But yeah, that's that's part of the deal that he has with Nike. Um, at least uh, allegedly a billion dollar lifetime deal or something like that. So that's LeBron James. He's number two. Number one, I don't think he's moved out of this spot yet. He's a, a champion of all uh, business, if you will, in the sports industry. Uh, $130 million in 2022. Lionel Messi. Uh, on the field, he made $75 million. Off the field, $55 million. He's the, you know, you could uh, point his picture to a, uh, a camelback rider in the Saharan Desert, and people know his name. He is the most famous sport sporting figure in the world. Behind, I mean, only only buddy that could, only person that could probably challenge him would be Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and if it's not him, then it's Messi. Um, 20, he's got a $20 million a year partnership with Socios. Adds to an endorsement portfolio that includes Adidas, Budweiser, and Pepsi, as well as Lay's, too. He also became Hard Rock International's first athlete brand ambassador in a deal announced last June. 
uh, helping Messi draw level with Manchester United's Cristiano Ronaldo with his off-field earnings for the first time since 2013. Messi won the Ballon d'Or in 2021 as the world's best men's soccer player, but he has had tougher time on the pitch more recently, scoring in just nine goals in 32 appearances for PSG after notching 38 in 47 games in his in his final season for Barcelona. But while PSG flamed out in the Champions League round of 16, the club captured the French League One title in Messi's first season with the club. So that's Lionel Messi. That's the top 10 highest paid athletes for 2022. Messi leading the way, of course. Again, $130 million in 2022. And the man is, like I said, if you, uh, if you know anything about sports, you know who Lionel Messi is. And he deserves the money that he's getting for sure. Um, as do all these guys. I mean, they're, like I said, most of them are bigger than the game that they actually actually play. And, um, you know, they're the best in the world at what they play as well. So, you know, all, all the respect tip their I tip my cap off to all of them. They're incredible athletes, incredible businessmen can't have anything but respect for what they do. Um, so congrats to them, I guess. I mean, if they're, they're not listening to this, but congrats to them. So well done to them. Um, that's going to wrap up the show though. This is my second time recording this. I'm going a little bit dead brain. I'll be honest with you. Um, just because I'm basically repeating a lot of the same stuff I recorded, you know, basically an hour ago. So going a little bit dead brained, but, uh, yeah, we're going to wrap up the show and I thank you very much for tuning in uh, again, please rate and subscribe if you can, wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google podcast, just give me a, a rating five stars. If you wouldn't mind, you know, kind of I'm doing the political thing. Hey, five stars. If you wouldn't mind. Um, but if you give me a one star, leave a comment. Tell me why. Um, but uh, yeah, rate and subscribe. And then if you're listening over to sharingmedia.com, podcastwyoming.com, anything like that, I greatly appreciate it. Um, so yeah, that's going to wrap up the show. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I have been your host, James Timberlake.